kind of like this New Testament thing we're doing, just sharing pulpits, sharing churches, coming together. Uh, it's been a joy uh, as uh, just to bring the Word of God to you, and uh, I find it uh, a particular joy as uh, we think about unity today. Uh, hopefully, by the at the end of October, uh, me and one of my elders are going to be going to Bolivia uh, to teach uh, some pastors there, uh, um, just some of the principles of being a pastor, because pastors in other countries are different uh, in in how they function as pastors here. So sometimes in in certain areas of the world, if you got a Bible and you can read, you're the pastor. And they do their best, and they try, and they're men of God who love the Lord, and yet they have very little training. And so we're going out uh, with uh, a ministry called Item. Uh, to Bolivia uh, uh, to teach there. I've been a couple times, been to Romania, been to uh, Grenada. One of the things that I love about that is just being united with the body of Christ in worship, though I cannot understand them. To learn from them and they from me. And I will say to you that I probably learn more from them than uh, they often do from me. And it's just a joy. They're just something significant about being united in Jesus Christ, though we know often little about each other, just saying brother in Christ or sister in Christ. And so this morning I want us to look at Psalm 133, which speaks about the delight of Christian unity. But if you would, uh, if you're into this kind of thing, I, I want to change the title of my, my sermon from the joy of Christian unity to the, you can cross out Christian, to the joy of gospel unity. The reason for that is, is that when we think of Christians, Christians often get in the way of unity. Our unity is actually not found in, be, uh, found in Christians, it's found in Christ. Christ is obviously what makes us Christian, and that's what unites us. It's not that reality that we somehow have all these things in common. So this morning I want us to look at the source of unity and then the blessings that come from gospel unity. And so if you would, uh, I'm reading from the NIV, I memorized from the NIV, so sometimes I like the old 1984 NIV, so if you would indulge me. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon were, uh, were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Father, would you do what is written now in your word through your spirit this morning, this afternoon. Would you unite us as only you can? Father, we live in a very strange world. We live in a very strange world in the church these days. Would you bring us together in the purity of Christ himself, in the bond of the Spirit, and in the call of the Father. 
O Lord, in this day and age, I ask and I pray for the glory of Jesus and the gospel, that the true church of Jesus Christ would rise and be united in the fullness of the gospel, not only for the sake of the church, but for its witness in the world as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a strange world, as I said, as I prayed, a world in which unity is actually found in diversity. The thing that we're actually united about is diversity. And when we get to the place where we're all happy to be united in diversity, our differences come out and we don't know what we're united about. And it's a very confusing place in the world. The problem really isn't in the world. They have no place for unity. The problem is when the church follows the world. And they begin to think, hey, this is a wonderful thing. Diversity is the new unity. And all of a sudden we begin to, uh, we begin to struggle with the reality of what true gospel unity looks like. Psalm 33 is a wonderful psalm. If you were to divide it up, it actually starts with this header, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And then the rest of it shows us the glory and the benefits and the joys and the excitement of what it means to be united as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that opening line begs the question, what is the source of delightful unity? Everybody seems to be striving for this thing called unity and diversity and all this kind of stuff. But where does true unity come from for the church of Jesus Christ? Why is true Christian unity so elusive, even in the church of Jesus Christ today? We ourselves in the, press, uh, in the PCA are wrestling with some realities that will make us possibly divide. Some really challenging things that seem to creep in. But before I answer the question what it means to be uh, 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 unified or what, where unity come from, let me tell you what unity, Christian unity is not. First of all, Christian unity is not uniformity, meaning we don't always have to be alike. We have customs, we have cultures that are different, and that's the beauty, is that we're not actually united because we're all the same. Praise God for that. And so in the diversity of the church, the unity is found somewhere else other than uniformity. We're not all alike. We don't always think and act, and we don't have the same customs. And all of a sudden, when we strive to look at being the same, we miss out and we lose sight of true Christian uni unity. So it's not found in uniformity. Christian unity is not a man-made reality. It cannot be a man-made reality. It has to come from God, as we'll see. Christian unity is not, about Christian, is not about the Christians at all, but it's all about Christ himself. And what I mean by that is sometimes the definition of the word Christian can be, are we really Christians? And all of a sudden we have this pie-in-the-sky notion about Christianity that has nothing to do with the gospel, has nothing to do with the scriptures, has nothing to do with Christ, and all of a sudden we're, we realize that we have nothing that really actually unites us. Let me help you to think about this in a different way. 
Sometimes we get uh, the results and the means mixed up. Now, what do I mean by that? Sometimes when we strive for results that come from what God is wanting to do, we can get all messed up. Let me just talk to you about that for just a second. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But what the church goes to is, hey, let's go to the results. Our goal in life is to bear fruit. And so we bear fruit and what fruit looks like for you and I might be more numbers in the church pews or more offerings or whatever. And we begin to have this results-oriented mentality. We're here to bear fruit. And look, our church is bearing more fruit than their church. That's not the goal of the Christian life, nor is it the goal of the passage. The goal of the Christian life and the goal of the passage is to abide in Christ. The result of that is that we will naturally bear much fruit. When we think about unity and we think about diversity and we think about all these questions, we begin to think about it in the wrong way. Revelations 5 and and, uh, 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 6 and 7, we see this wonderful uh, uh, coming together around the throne of God, Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we go, that's our goal. We need to be diverse from every tribe and tongue and nation and language and people group and ethnicity and you name it. Why? Because it tells us that in Revelation. But that's not the focus of that passage. The focus of that passage is Christ. It is Christ and the gospel that has done this miraculous work of bringing people from every ethnicity and culture and tongue together. It is Christ. But when we start striving for something in our own strength, we really, really mess things up. And so what is the source of true Christian unity? The source of true Christian unity, as it's already, I've already mentioned, is Christ and Christ alone. Now, when we come together, when we are bound by Christ, as we'll come to the table of the Lord, we're coming together in a common bond that is other than us. It is God the Father calling his children to himself. It is God the Son redeeming those that God has called to himself, and it's God the Holy Spirit who is sealing them for all eternity. And all of a sudden we realize that it is really in the person of Jesus Christ, it's in the gospel that we find true Christian unity. Look with the passage that we read in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's talking to these Gentile Christians. He says, you're the ones called the uncircumcised by the ones who call themselves circumcised. And, and for them, that's just an act done, and done by the hand of man. And then notice what he says. You were once separated from Christ. You were once alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant. You had, you had no hope and you were without 
uh, God. Verse 13, but now we're all together and we're all happy and we're singing Kumbaya. No, but now in Christ, there's a focus. Now in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Ours meaning Gentiles and Jews coming together. Who made us both one. And how did he do that? Because he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That he may create in himself, in Christ, one new man in place of the two. Making peace. Reconciling both to God through the cross. And thereby killing hostility for through him we both have access to one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on one foundation the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone see brothers and sisters when we are together in Christ and in the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we recognize that it's not about us, but it's all about him, it is then that this miracle happens. We're at the cross of Jesus Christ. We're, come, we're brought together, and it is God who's breaking down everything, not us. And it's a miracle. And it's a glorious miracle. And so that is the true source It's not really Christians, but it's the gospel. So it really should be the joy of gospel unity because we tend to really mess it up. But what are the benefits? And how do we see that? How do we recognize that Christian unity? Notice a couple of things. The first benefit actually is found in verse 1 of chapter Uh, of uh, uh, Psalm 133. He said, how good and pleasant it is. Look at this true glimpse and taste of heaven. It's just good and it's just pleasant. There's just a profound joy of being together. When we first came to Westminster, oh, some 17-odd years ago now, <clears throat> we used to do um, the Samaritan's Purse Christmas Child. You guys may have done it, may have not done it. And we would do it as a church. We'd all gather uh, in, in the, the fellowship hall at the church, and all these presents would be lining up, and that was back in the day when they didn't do the, print out the boxes, and we would uh, actually get shoe boxes from everywhere. We'd fill them up and we would wrap them and we would write notes and we would send them off and it was just glorious. And there was food and there was Christmas music and there was our church and it was all about giving. And I remember walking up to my son, Andrew, and uh, he's a grazer. So he would eat and then he would pack a box and then he'd eat some more and he'd pack a box. <clears throat> but unlike his father, he... Uh, He's skinny. He can do that. And we were looking in on this scene, and I said, Andrew, do you, do you see it? Do you feel it? I said, don't you love this? And he goes, yeah, Dad, I love this. 
I said, Henry, this is, this is a taste of heaven. But in heaven, nobody goes home. Nobody goes home. We are just all together, and Christ is present. And it's glorious, and it's wonderful, and it's joyful. Sadly, since that day, many of those in that scene before my son and I have gone to be with the Lord to that permanent Christmas morning that never fades. But for those of us who still remain, we need to delight and be overjoyed when we recognize and see the unity that is in Christ Jesus. It's something to be celebrated. Sometimes it's hard, but it's always to be celebrated. Notice the second blessing, verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down the collar of his robe. And here's this glorious anointing of God. Now it's important to recognize what anointing was. Anointing in the Old Testament happened with priests. Here's Aaron's anointing and, and kings and often prophets. And they were to be set apart. It was something to make them strangely different from everybody else. And the anointing always came from God to set something apart. And here it's the unity of God's people. And he's, he's referring back to this, this picture of Aaron's anointing, the, the brother of Moses. And he says, here's the anointing. And I want you to notice a couple things about this ordination of, of Aaron's brother uh, Moses. Because it speaks to the anointing and the blessing that comes from God. First of all, it's directional. Why is that important? Because the blessing is always bestowed on us by God. It never comes from us. It's actually always from God coming down to us. And then I want you to notice the abundance. Notice the lavish nature of God's blessing and anointing where there's true gospel fellowship. He says uh, it, it comes down the head and down the beard, and then it says down the collar of his robe. And most commentators would say, it's not this collar he's talking about. Aaron had, Aaron had a robe, and it's probably this collar down here of his robe. Meaning to say, this was an abundance of blessing. As oil was poured down on his head, uh, some of you will get this, others of you will scratch your head, especially you little children. But some of you older ones, just for your joy's sake, remember the old commercial for Brill Cream? It's a little red jar of Brill Cream. Oh, some of you got it. My dad used to use a little dabble, do you? No. No. Not where it comes to God's blessing of unity. A little dabble won't do you. God says, no, I'm going to pour out. I'm going to anoint, and it's going to be in abundance, and it's going to flow down you, and there is going to be no doubt of my blessing upon you by anointing you and setting you apart to be my people. And everybody will notice, because in Christ Jesus, you are my people. So that's this lavish anointing but notice there's also a second thing, verse 3. There's refreshment. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on Mount Zion. Man-made unity is striving for the impossible. And therefore, it's this constant, tiresome reality of trying 
to do one thing after another, to juggle all the rules so that we can all be happy together. But the anointing of the gospel, which brings unity, brings a refreshment with it. And notice this is a desert climate here uh, in Israel. And, the, and water was a very, very precious and very, very uh, important reality. And in order to understand the rich refreshment of Christian unity in verse 3, it comes early in the morning when the dew falls from heaven. And there's this wonderful time of coolness and refreshment and the dew is present. And it falls again directional from the Lord down and it blesses the earth. And there's just refreshment. I can tell you in uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, 17 odd years of ministry, one of the most refreshing times of Christian unity came through one of the most conflicted times in our church. Over the course of a number of years, there was just simply, at different times, tension and divides that began to grow in rifts. And it happened between, uh, uh, between the session and a group in the church. And finally, it just got to a breaking point and it was horrible and it was just it was painful and it was horrible to try to come together and and pretend and so we went and we asked for, for peacemakers to come in and we had a conciliation the session the group and us and there were people in uh, who didn't participate because they thought they had not done anything wrong and yet I can remember, I wrestled. I was walking around our church. And I can tell you the exact spot in my church where I was when God changed my heart and said, you need to go. You need to swallow your pride and you need to go. And because I was, I was bucking it. And all of a sudden we came together and it was three days. Three days of conciliation from morning till uh, late afternoon. We heard each other's stories, and for the first time, we listened to each other's stories. And in those stories, we began to recognize pain. Pain that was not intentional, but it was there. And it was there because of things that we had done, and pain for us that they had done. And we began to hear, and we began to write confessions, and we were taught how to write a biblical confession. And it was intense. And we came together and we reconciled and we began to be restored together as a fellowship. And I can tell you, top three things in my ministry was that conciliation. I walked out of there with refreshment like I've never, ever, ever, ever felt before. Why? Because it was hard work. And the gospel brought us together. And we listened to each other's heart. And we sought forgiveness. And we offered forgiveness. And we wept. And it was one of the most refreshing things I've ever experienced. But the inverse was true when we weren't doing that. And there's times when unity isn't just natural. 
is something that sometimes we have to strive for. We have to die to self and we have to live for Christ. And we have to enter and we have to listen and we have to, we have to come together in Christ and trust the gospel, believe the gospel, offer the gospel, receive the gospel. And all of a sudden what comes out of there is this joyful refreshment. And then I want you to notice the last thing about biblical or, or gospel unity. There is a blessing of life everlasting. What does that mean? Notice what he says. For there, in, Christ, in, in gospel unity, there the Lord has commanded, he has commanded his blessing, life forevermore. I often wonder why so many people walk away from the church and so many people in the world never actually adhere or listen to the gospel. And it might actually be not simply always because uh, of uh, differences that they may have, but sometimes it might be because they don't see it in the church. They actually don't see the gospel lived out in this biblical gospel unity around the doctrines that are so rich and deep. And the unity of the body of Christ brings a blessing to the body, but then it brings a demonstration of the power of the gospel to the world around. John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus talks about unity, doesn't he? And he says this in verse 20, and he says, I do not ask for these alone, speaking of the disciples, but for also those who will believe in me through their words, that they may be one. So what does unity look like? They may be one, and this is almost impossible. It is for, for us as believers. They may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. That's the goal of unity. That they may also be in us. Why? So that the world might believe that you have sent me. That is the witness of Christian unity. When the gospel is so profoundly uh, uh, central to our unity, which brings a profound diversity because we're centered on Christ and we rejoice with brothers and sisters and, and, and see their joyful differences that the world might know, that the world would look in awe and say, the gospel really works. It is powerful and it is incredible. And then Jesus goes on, and the glory that you have given me I have given them, where there's gospel unity, there is God's glory present. That they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one. So that the world, and he repeats it, may know that you have sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Let's pray. Father, each church has challenges and trials and difficulties. 
And we know that there's no perfect church because all are made of sinners. And it is only in, in Christ and Christ alone that we are united as one. Lord, in a moment we'll partake of a common table in the Lord's Supper. And not only does that bring peace to us, but it is also peace that we have with one another. And so as we'll come to this table, if there are challenges here, reconciliation that needs to happen, that we may even pause. If there needs to be conviction, that you would do so. For what we partake of is the gospel. And what you're desiring to do is unite us in it. The Lord, this supper was taken by believers in Pakistan and in India who hate each other. But they're united. The, the countries hate each other, but the people are united in Christ. The Ukrainian believers and Russian believers in Jesus. By Israeli believers and Arab believers who will come together in a table and proclaim Christ as the only hope. And so, Father, I pray for us this morning, this afternoon, that we would do the same, and that the gospel would work in us even as we partake, that you would bring conviction, that you would bring transformation, that you would bring humility, that you would bring true gospel unity so that we may be refreshed, that we may feel your anointing and empowerment as a church to fulfill your purposes in this world and that we may be a witness of the power of the gospel to a world that is dying to know the truth. So meet us, I pray, as we come to the table of the Lord. Thank you that it is only in the cross that we have peace with you and peace with one another. And we praise you that you did not leave us in hopelessness, but drew us together in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.